That song that, that Pastor Matt and Danielle just sang, man, that sums up um, our heart at the gathering. It sums up our new series, Cross Culture. How do we take the good news of Christ, what we know about Jesus, right? And how do we take that out into the world? How do we go cross culture to share that good news? How do people see that in us? And let's be honest, man, that's, that's, that's challenging. We live in a world that's rich and, and vast and, and culturally diverse. So how in the world do we represent Jesus to such diversity? How do we do that? Well, the temptation is to look around instead of up, right? To, to put on a bigger show, because if we put on a bigger show, well, maybe more people will come. And what that does is that leaves churches feeling a whole lot more like a, a business or a, a corporation than the true family of God that we read about in this book. You see, the answer, it's not in methods, it's not in processes or procedures, it's not in programs. The answer is in the cross. We wanna be cross-culture, we wanna reach our, our, our city for Jesus. We want to reach our nation for Jesus. We want to reach the world for Jesus. We want to go cross-culture. Well, to, grow, to go cross-culture, we first have to develop a cross-culture. We are the cross-culture. In 1934, a rebellious 15-year-old teenager was invited to hear a traveling evangelist speak by the name of Mordecai Ham. Now, Mordecai was speaking in Charlotte for uh, actually six days a week, morning and night for 11 straight weeks. And so it was a young boy by the name of Grady Wilson who invited his friend, this 15-year-old, to uh, go hear the evangelist speak. And he actually had to uh, throw a little uh, motivation in there. What he did is he said, I'll let you drive my truck. And so the 15-year-old said, okay, I'll go if I can drive the truck. And so the boys would go, they would begin to listen, and they would go night after night. And eventually, the two boys were so convicted by Dr. Ham's stare, you know, so, you know he had that stare, and he was, felt like he was talking to them, right? And so they joined the choir. No joke. They literally joined the choir so they could be behind him when he preached, right? But it was November 1st, 1934, that that rebellious teenager could withstand the, the, the beckoning of the Holy Spirit no more. He... Uh, he would give his life to Christ that night. His name, you may know him, Billy Graham. Billy Graham would accept Christ that night, and here's uh, just a few days before his 16th birthday. There's his decision card right there with his signature. As you know, Billy Graham would go on to preach the gospel to more live audiences than anyone else. 215 million people in 185 different countries and territories. God would use that man to literally change the world. But here's my point. Billy was first affected by the power of Christ working through a guy named Mordecai Ham, a guy that most of us have never even heard of. But you trace his roots back, and he was affected by someone who had the power of Christ working through him, who would lead him to Christ. You see, here's what I'm getting at, the big idea. Affected people affect Others. Say that with me. Affected people affect others. And for you English people and you grammar police, 
It's the right effect. Okay? I know how some of y'all, y'all checked out like, I'm going to look this up. Don't look it up. I already did. Okay? Affect. To have an impact. Impacted people. Affected people impact others. Affect others. You see, being cross-culture... It begins at the cross, man. It begins with, with, with an experience, with an encounter with the living God. You want to affect people for Christ? We must first be affected. <laughs> when faith becomes uh, real, when it becomes our own, when Jesus is no longer some far-off deity that we read in the pages of this book, but he, comes, uh, he becomes alive to us. He becomes real. He becomes working in our life. Paul shows us how to live Affected lives for Christ. We're going to get into God's word. And, and you know what? You're in luck today. Only one verse. Only one verse today. We're going to break it down. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Listen to what Paul writes. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, I just thank you. So we get into your word today, God, that you would just, man, just, just open up our hearts. Let us, uh, man, just deal with us, God. We are, we are peculiar people. And uh, sometimes we run from you. God, I just pray that we wouldn't run today. I just pray that we would, with open hearts and an open mind, God, just hear from your word today. We love you. We want to receive your truth today. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we live effective? If you're taking notes, write this down. Affected people... Live dead. <laughs> I know it's not what you wanted to hear today. That's another inspiring message by Pastor John. I got to live dead. Well, that's what Paul says. Verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So those words, I have been crucified, those four words come from the original Greek word, sostaro, which simply, and, and you know, we, we keep it simple around here, but I need to teach you something that's very important. Four words came from one word in the Greek. That, that original Greek word, that verb, means I have been crucified. But it's important to note that it's in the Greek perfect tense. And, and in the Greek perfect tense, it's used to describe an ongoing result of a completed action. In other words, I have been crucified. That's a completed action. When you accept Jesus, guess what? All our sins, all our failures, all the things that we don't want to tell anybody about, died with Christ. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Amen? And so that's a completed action. That is done. However, there's an ongoing result of that completed crucifixion. And the ongoing result, Paul says, is I choose to live dead. I choose to live crucified. I choose to wake up and bring my flesh under the lordship of Christ. Or at least that's what we're supposed to if we call ourselves Christians. And it's hard. It's difficult. But that's what we signed on for. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I, I, I know that that doesn't preach real well because no one's going to say like, amen, yeah, I got to die. Yeah, woo. But I didn't write the book. Like, I'm just the messenger. So if you're mad at the message, talk to Jesus. Like, we got to die. And listen, I'm not there yet. So let me level the playing field. I may be, you know, three or four feet higher than you on this stage, 
but I'm with you in the trenches, man. I'm trying to live this out myself, and I am not perfect. Just ask my wife. Oh, God, she left. Praise God. <laughs> I preached her right out of this building this morning. Whew. It's tough, but that's our invitation as Christians to die. But here's the thing. The paradox of the, of the Christian life is this, that in dying, we really live. The slavery of this world, the trappings of this world, the enticements of this world grow strangely dim. When we die, sacrificially die, when we choose to live dead, it, this world ain't got no power over us anymore. <laughs> In the movie Open Range, anybody love Westerns? Come on, man. Thank God. So 2003, Open Range, Charlie Waite, if you remember, played by Kevin Costner, he's a uh, He's trying to get the townspeople to rise up against these evil people who are trying to, you know, take over the town, right? And, and honestly had been taken over the town. He's like, rise up. We can do something about this. Of course, they were full of fear. And they're like, well, we're just farmers. We're just ranchers. We, we, we don't want to die. Who are we? And he said something. He said, there's things that gnaw at a man worse than dying. I thought, oh, that's so good. There's things that gnaw at a man. Did you know that there's things that are worse than dying? You know what's worse than dying is living only to wake up one day and realize you never really lived at all. Max Licato says it this way, the greatest calamity is not to feel far from God when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. And I believe there are a lot of Christians, I would say the majority of Christians, if I'm being honest, myself included, that have settled for so much less than what God had for us. We played it safe. We were fearful. And we did some nice things. We threw some money in the plate. We went to church most of the time. And, you know, we, we tried to treat our spouse a little bit better. And, and the truth is, we, we were going we to squeak into heaven, praise God. But, like, we never really stepped into the true destiny that God had because we were afraid to die. And if you want to live, you got to die. That's the reality of it. And most Christians, I believe, myself included, at times, I've been afraid to die. Man, I pray that we don't settle for less than what God has for us. God has some great things for this church, this church family, and for us individually, but it's going to take dying to ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we live dead? If you're taking notes, write this down. We need to learn to worship the real Jesus. Did you know that we live in a world that waters things down? right? And Jesus has been watered down. And the church, we have allowed it to happen. In fact, we've bought into it hook, line, and sinker. You see, we live in a world where we can create whatever version of Jesus that suits us. Check this out. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. 
Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. Oh, I figured that was appropriate since they're running at Talladega to, in a couple hours, right? Talladega Nights. But it's true though, right? Like we create, we customize Jesus to fit our lifestyle, which Jesus works for you. Doesn't work that way, does it? See, America, we, we like the friend Jesus, right? We, we live in a friend with benefits type of society. Right? We want a friend, Jesus, and we want the benefits of that friend, like uh, give me a little heaven, give me some forgiveness, maybe a side of grace, a little love, uh, sprinkle a little mercy on top, but God forbid, don't give me any sacrifice. Right? We don't want that, Jesus. I mean, we love the Savior, Jesus the Savior, but we don't like Jesus Lord, right? Lord of our life, because that means we have to adjust our life to him. We love little, little Christmas baby Jesus, right? We all celebrate. But what about Lord? We, we sell for friend. You know, there's a song. Alison Krauss did it. Loretta Lynn and also Albert King. And the lyrics go like this. Everyone, everybody wants to go to heaven, but... No, well, nobody wants to die. That's the Tim McGraw one. Nobody wants to go now. Or, or not Tim McGraw, Kenny Chesney. Thank you. But the, the one I'm referring to is, is everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's true, right? Like, we don't want to die sacrificially. We just want to go to heaven. We, can, we, want, we want life insurance. You say, but wait a second. The Bible says that, that he's a friend. True. John 15, 15. I have called you friends for everything uh, that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You're right. He calls us friends. Praise God. But hang on, Einstein. Back up one verse, Jesus 15, 14. You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do what I command. Oh, snap. You mean I actually have to do something to be a f Yeah. Now, the good news is his love is unconditional, right? His love is unconditional. Nothing you can do to, to earn it, nothing you can do to lose it. He gave you his love. Praise God. But his friendship, on the other hand, that's conditional. That has conditions. What's the conditions? Obedience. Oh, really? Yeah, really. James 4.4, 4, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Like if we really want to, to be friends with Jesus, it costs us something. That friendship costs us something. 
Someone said salvation is free, but discipleship costs us everything. Like if we really want to be friends, we really want to follow Christ, it costs us everything. And, and, and so many of us, if we're honest, we're just not there yet. And that's okay. There's no guilt. It's just that we settle for less than what God has for us. My question for all of us would be, what or who needs to die? What or who needs to die? What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it a substance? Is it your past? Is it our pride? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? What, what is it that God's calling to die in our life? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a person. Right? You say, well, wait a second. You know, he left the 99 to find the one. I, I'm trying to go after that person and love on him. But it's killing you. It's like the, the oxygen mask that, that drops down. Right? You took the oxygen mask and you gave it to that person. I'm trying to save him. I'm trying to save her. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to lead them to Christ. Meanwhile, <gasps> asphyxiation. You're, you're, you're dying. You're suffocating. God says sometimes the best thing to do is let that person go. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right season. Let that person come back. Meanwhile, take care of yourself. Find the real Jesus. You know, for some, someone this week, it was entitlement. We are entitled people, but the real Jesus isn't about entitlement. I, I was talking to a guy, and, and he's, you know, he he's in, he's, wants to leave his wife, and he said, well, I, I deserve to be happy. Oh, man. Y'all know me. I wish I could be more, you know, politically. No, I don't. I don't want to be politically correct. Sometimes I wish I could say it nicer, right? But, but he was talking to the wrong person, right? Um, Christianity is not about our happiness. It's about holiness. It's about aligning ourselves with the real Jesus and saying, God, help me seek you first. Help me serve you. The whole happiness thing, Solomon tried that. Take your Bibles and read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He was sex, drugs, and rock. He already did that. You know what he said? It's like chasing the wind. It's a waste of time. Happiness comes as a byproduct of holiness as we chase God. But to do that, we have to know who the real Jesus is. Amen? We live dead by personalizing Jesus. we got to move from our head knowledge of Jesus to our heart. From a fan of Jesus... To a true follower. And that's the toughest journey, right? From here to here. To where Jesus is really personal. And, and you know, you read the Bible. The, the, the relationship that Jesus wants, it's all about relationship. It's not about religion. John 1.14. Like he went, on, he went on a quest. He left heaven to find us. And to be with us. And to dwell with us. Are you kidding me? Every other religion is an attempt by, by humanity to reach up to the deity. But Jesus flipped it all around and said, I'm coming down to y'all because it's personal. Romans 8 verse 9, the Holy Spirit is present within us. Why? Because it's personal? Because he wanted to dwell. And check this out. God even relates to himself. He, he describes himself in human terms. What did he say in the Bible? I'm the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. You would think he'd be like, I'm omnipotent, I'm omniscient, I'm omnipresent, I'm transcendent, I'm immutable, I am the propitiation, all these big theological words. No! He's like, you know those jokers, Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob, Jacob's a trip. I mean, come on. I'm their God. Who would do that? What did he? Because it's personal. Man, he, he loves us. He wants this relationship. And sadly, we settle for living out somebody else's Jesus. Living vicariously through John's Jesus or through Pastor Matt's Jesus, or Pastor Gary, or somebody in your life, in your family. And God says, no, I, I want to be your Jesus. And not that you create a, 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 your own version of Jesus, but that he is intimate and relates to you in a way that is between you and him. Don't settle for somebody else's Jesus. Some people have Jesus envy. I want his Jesus. And God's like, What? I've got something special for you that is uniquely crafted, uniquely tailored, uniquely created just for you. And yet we want to plagiarize somebody else's Jesus. We want to plagiarize somebody else's blessing. And God's like, man, I got something so good for you. What what, what I did for that person is between me and him. And and you can celebrate that, but don't let the totality of your celebration, the totality of your walk with Christ be somebody else's walk. God's got something for you, Chris. God's got something for you, Angie. Right? He's got something for us because he is omnipresent. He is is everywhere at once. He can be in your life, Travis. He can be in my life at the same time. And the cool thing about Jesus is he reveals himself uniquely. To Pastor Dan, he speaks through contemplation. Dan's Dan's a contemplative. Through me, he speaks through nature. Like I love, you know, take a walk or take a jog. I just, just I can, I can feel God in the air. For Gary, he, 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 God speaks to him through prayer time on his back porch every morning. Through my wife, he speaks through the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Christmas Hall of Fame classics. She's gonna kill me. But he does. He speaks to us differently, right? Because that's. That's the cool thing about God. And, and what I'm trying to say is when, when things are personal, when God's personal, we take action. Think about every other area in your life. When something's personal, you take action. Men, someone disparages your wife, oh, it's on, right? Like, no, no, you ain't got to talk to my, you know, right? We do that. We take action. It's personal. Uh, moms, oh, when someone jacks around with your cubs, right? Like you, you, you find out someone's bullying your kid at school. Oh, you're talking to the Prince Pal, right? It's on like Donkey Kong. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a little conversation. Coaches, any coaches in here? Come on, where are my coaches at? Coaches, all right. If, if, if a ref blows the call right at the end of a big game, that hurts, right? That's personal. You may have to like have a little conversation with the official after the game. You may have to be like Bobby Knight and throw a, a chair on the floor, right? Why? Because it's personal, and yet, when it comes to our faith, Christians, someone maligns the bridegroom named Jesus, and we're like, I ain't going to take it personal. Right? Well, why not? He did. He took it personal. When you read the Bible, man, when people jack around with the people of God, he took it very personal. In 2 Kings 19, the, the, the Assyrians were camped out. 185,000 Assyrians were camped around the walls of Jerusalem. They're going to lay siege to that place. What happened? God said, oh, no, you don't. 
He sends an angel and wipes 185,000 out like that. Will God really do that? Yes, he really did do it. Why? Because it's personal. What about John 8? Woman caught in adultery. Ha ha, she's dead. Kill her, bad sinner. No, uh-uh, no, you're not. Y'all, with, 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 whoever's without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. Crickets, nothing, right? Now, why would he do that? Why would he? Th- because it was personal to him. What about John chapter two, the cleansing of the temple? They're jacking around trying to, to use the church to make money and to be profiteers. Oh, no, you don't. He makes a whip and drives them out. Why? Because it was personal. The cross. <laughs> Nothing could be more personal than that. Like he took all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our past. And he said, their tab, it's on me. He took out the biggest credit card in the world and said, put it, their tab on mine. Why would he do that? Why would he go through that? Why would he be, suffer like, because it's personal. And when we get to the place as his kids, where when someone disparages the name of Christ, when someone maligns Christ, when someone makes fun of us, yeah, we love him. Yeah, we give him grace. But should we take it personal? Yeah. Because when it's personal, it matters. When Jesus moves from our head to our heart, we know that we're in the process of living dead. And lastly, we live dead by discipline, disciplining the flesh. I love this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, um, Paul uses this analogy of a fighter. I think of my man down here, fighter. He writes, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Wow. I don't run aimlessly. (laughs) I strike a blow to my body. Why would I strike a blow to my body? Because the flesh is wicked. Right? Oh, he's got a good heart. No, I don't have a good heart. Neither do you. The Bible talks about that. The heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says. We, are, we come jacked up from the factory. And it's, we, it's every, each and every day we have to strike a blow to our flesh and say, you know what? I am capable of all forms of ungodliness. I know you don't want to hear that from your pastor, but I'm not going to lie to you. I and you are capable of all forms of ungodliness. But we have to die. We have to beat the flesh each and every day. How do we do that? By setting up hedges. One of the ways we do that is we set up hedges. I got a book, um, it's called Hedges uh, by Jerry Jenkins. It's a great book, I recommend it, especially for, uh, it focuses more on marriages specifically, but we should set up hedges in all areas of our life. Why? Because we know our propensity. We know our bent towards sin. And if we know that about ourselves, like Paul did, One of the ways we strike a blow to the flesh, one of the ways we we bring uh, the flesh under the obedience and lordship of Christ is we set up hedges. Tim Elmore says this, he says, we can build a fence at the top of the cliff or a hospital at the bottom. I don't know about y'all, but as someone who's fallen and made a whole lot of mistakes, I would much rather build a hedge or a fence at the top of the cliff. And so what are some of those hedges? Real quickly, let me just give you a few that work you know, for me, and you can take them or leave them, but eyes, a hedge for the eyes. Remember the song, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. <laughs> yeah. Matthew six twenty two. the eye is the lamp of your body. We gotta be careful what we allow 
into our eyes. So, hedges for Lipinski family, we don't have any movie channels. No movie channels in our, our, our home. Are there good movies on movie channels? Absolutely. There's always light with darkness. But for us, I don't want that stuff in my home. I don't want that temptation for me or my kids. No thanks. Devices. We protect our devices, the phones. You know how many people I counsel? The most counseling sessions I have, pornography. And it starts with little compromises. If you have children, I strongly recommend you put up a hedge and you disable browsing on their phone. Um, and if you struggle with it yourself, disable it. Um, some of the phones, the uh, iPhone has that, and I guess some of the Androids don't have that option. So we use, uh, we use the iPhones for that reason, for one of the reasons. Um, and it, at night, all of the phones in the house, all of our children's phones come out to the kitchen in the common area. <sighs> That's a little over the top, isn't it? Not when you've seen what I've seen and heard what I've heard and deal with the people that I deal with each and every day. Here goes another one, here goes another one, here's another one. <laughs> Frederick Douglass says this, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. So if you think it's overkill, I would uh, respectfully push back and disagree. Mind, we put hedges on our mind. You know, we can't, stop ourselves from thinking a bad thought, but we can stop ourselves from entertaining it. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 10? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So how do we do that? So when a bad thought comes in, I think of like a, a fighter pilot. A fighter pilot who, who, who ejects a bad thought. Right? You can't stop it from coming in, but you can determine whether you're going to entertain that thought. And just like right before someone crashes, right before a pilot would crash, he would eject to safety, eject that thought and hold, it, hold yourself obedient to Christ. In the words of Ice Cube, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And uh, also behavior. What, what are some behavioral uh, hedges? Well, for me, a couple things. One of the things I try to do as a hedge is, is when I get up, I don't check my phone or my email or any type of social media until I have that time with the Lord, right? That's just a hedge that I put up because if I, you know, if I get to checking that stuff, it's just something happens to, to my time with the Lord. It's like secondary and it's supposed to be primary. Uh, a couple things like uh, I don't ride in a car with the opposite sex alone. Uh, the only time you'd ever see me that is if it's my sister. Uh, and, and I probably don't even do that anymore just because the appearance of evil, right? Because if, the Bible says to avoid even the appearance of evil. I don't have a conversation about my spouse with the opposite sex, right? That's something for her and I. And if I have an accountability partner uh, who's the same gender as me, I would have that conversation. See, small compromises lead to big compromises. And the flesh... It's, it's jacked, man. We have a default setting called sin. And if we don't bring that under the Lordship of Christ, if we don't put up hedges, we're going to be in trouble, guys. And uh, also discipline the flesh by becoming involved. Some of you are new to this church. Welcome. But it's time. I know it's your first time here. 
So I'll, I'll preach to everyone in the room except for you. I mean, there's some other people here first. But once you've been here for a couple weeks, it's time to, to get involved. I, I'm not interested in, in, in creating a church of a bunch of receivers, right? I want people who roll up their sleeves and are part of this, this big mess we call life because there's something in it for you. When we get our minds off ourselves, we die to ourselves and we realize, man, I'm supposed to be serving. I'm supposed to be a part of something greater than myself. Does that come with the price? Oh yeah, it comes with the price. And, so, and, and it's time to, for some of us to pay it. I'm not guilting you. You can come back and never, but you're missing out on something. You're missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you. You have a gift to use and your gift is not lived out as you sit on your hands every week. Oh no, no. There is life beyond your seat. And so I want to encourage you to stop, sign up for, for a setup crew. We need more people to set up here. 5.30 a.m. in the morning. Who does that? People who love God. People who are dying. A sacrificial death. Setup crew. Ushers. Kids ministry. Uh, security. Hospitality. Tech ministry. I mean, we've got a lot of different areas to, to, to serve. I encourage you to do that. Discipline the flesh by doing that. As, as uh, Ken mentioned earlier, get signed up in, in a family circle. Right? Because because you need it. Because we're supposed to live in relationship. Oh, I don't need that. Oh, don't be so prideful. We need it. We need it. We all need it. God designed us for relationship. Oh, and by the way, there might be something that you have that somebody else needs. You know, you've been through stuff that they haven't been through. And they may need to hear your testimony. They may need to hear, hear your story. Because affected people affect others. But we don't do that when we sit at home alone. Maybe it's giving. Someone gave to the land so enough people to give to the land fund. Yes, we're buying land, and yes, we're going to build. Praise God. It's coming. But that takes discipline. One year ago, this past Thursday, I announced that we were planting this church called The Gathering. People thought I was crazy. And maybe I was, you know? Maybe to be a follower of Christ, it takes a little bit of insanity. I'm okay with that. But what God has done here in the past year has been remarkable. Last week, 804 people walked through the doors. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't try to share this, a lot of this stuff on Facebook because I feel like it, it, you know, the numbers thing gets kind of, you know, it gets really weird. And I got to stand before God and he knows my heart. So, but I'll share it with family. 804 people, 16 people came to Christ. Yeah. And 113 people total since we began this journey a year ago have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. How cool is that, man? Yay, God. You know, and, and someone asked uh, Pastor Dan last week, they said, so what's the draw? And he's a pastor from another town, another state actually, and said, what's the draw? I mean, how are, you getting, how, many, how are you getting so many people there? What's the draw? I always love that, man. It's like, if we drifted that far where we have to ask what the draw is, that's the draw right there. That's your draw. That is your draw. Across culture is the draw because when people hear about people who have been affected, all of a sudden we begin to affect others. Like before the church was ever launched, God launched something in my heart. And it's like, you talk to the people who were there from the beginning, like my man, Ben, right? You talk to the people who are, who are planting. It's like, it's like God was doing something in us before he ever really did something through us. Where's that? You put that picture up, didn't you, Michael? 
You have that one? You got that? I guess not. Well, we had a picture of the first meeting and uh, it's just what God has done. It's, it's just so remarkable, but he did it through affected people. He did it through affected people. One of those uh, people is a girl by the name of Amber. Where are you at, Amber? Ah, oh, you made me cry yesterday, girl. So Amber would come December 23rd. She's the niece of Lisa and granddaughter of Floyd, who celebrated his 90th birthday yesterday. But his prayer for his, his, his granddaughter, his baby girl, would be that she would come to Christ. Well, she's from Washington, and God is unusual. God is hard to figure out. If you figure him out, let me know. But he would bring her out here, visiting a church called The Gathering, some little church plant that was in its infancy over at CFTN building that we used to rent. And, and, and December 23rd, Amber would make, there, there's the picture. That, was, that, was, that wasn't CFTN, that's Lifespring. That was the first service. And Pastor Jonathan was uh, praying over us, and that was it. That's where it all began. Whew. My God, what he's done in a year. It's unbelievable. Uh, uh, it just baffles me what he's doing. He's writing this incredible story. We're supposed to be at 41 people at the end of a year by national averages. And it's not about numbers, but it is about affected people, right? It's about affected people affecting others. And, and his prayer for his granddaughter was that she would come to Christ. He would use a church plant called The Gathering to lead her to Christ. She would accept Christ. And let me tell you something, the story didn't end there. That's where the story began. She's, she lives in one of the most um, unchurched places in the world. She lives in Washington. And there are very few Christians by her own admission around her. And she's being a light to her students. She's a school teacher. And yesterday, let me tell you, at Floyd's 90th birthday party, whew, she had the whole room crying. Why? Because that affected person, that affected heart, it came out. And I'm looking, I'm like bawling. She's telling how people how she came to Christ and what God's doing in her life. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be embarrassed because I'm crying. I look around and everyone's crying. Why? Because she's affected, because she's on fire. And I said, don't you lose that, Amber. Don't you let the world, don't you let your circumstances, don't you let the school or whatever's around you snuff that fire out because it's so beautiful. It's, God is so personal to you. He is so personal and it's contagious. She's affected and she is affecting others. And that's the point. Affected people. God, help us be affected. Because when we're, when we're affected by the cross, when we're affected by the cross living out through other people, because most often it's not a piece of wood, it's the cross living, breathing through his men and women, boys and girls, people who say yes to Jesus, people who, who through the overflow of their life, they're like, there's something in there. There's something that Amber's got that I want. There's something that you can't fake. There's something that you can't buy. And she's got it. And whatever it is, it changed her. And if it changed her, it can change a loser like me. When we get to that point, we affect all sorts of people. And you better believe, Floyd, God has used you to affect her life, and she will be forever thankful for your faithfulness, my friend. Amen. So let's, as we close, just, just bow with me for just a second. We're, we're going to wrap this up, but I just...
want to give you an opportunity. Maybe uh, you don't know Christ and you want to make him your Lord today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus, the story can begin now. The effect of the cross can begin right here, right now, by you saying, Jesus, I accept you. For those of you who have never done that and you want to make Jesus Lord, Remember, when you do this, you're, you're, you're asking him to be your Lord and Savior. And what that means, as you read the Bible, it means that you will live forever. That means that your sins are forgiven. That means you're given the spiritual portfolio, including a spiritual gift to use for his kingdom. It means you're going to live forever. All because you said yes to the free gift of salvation that Jesus died to give you. If you don't have that, you can get it right now. Don't live a day longer. Don't live a second longer. Don't walk up out of this place if you haven't received that gift of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want that, just, just slip up your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up right now in boldness. Say, I want that gift of salvation. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? See that one? Anybody else? Okay, for those people that have raised their hands, just pray this prayer. Lord, just forgive me. Today, I come to you, a new creation. I put my hope and my life and my faith and my trust in you. You died so I can live. You died so that I could be free. You died so that I could be affected. And so, so right now, I accept you. I accept your sacrifice, your death. I accept you, Jesus. Thank you for dying. Now let me live so that I can affect those around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate God. Come on, celebrate him. Yeah, God. And just like Amber's story began on December 23rd, someone else's story just began on, I don't know, April 28th. Yay, God, right? Amen.